You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 147, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me on this episode of Gators Breakdown, as he does most of the time, is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. Will, uh, you got you finally got readandreaction.com back up. <laughs> <laughs> I did. It took a couple of days to figure out the server issue, and then I had to not be lazy and actually finish <laughs> writing the article. I had all the data, but the writing is the hard part. So, uh, so it went up there a couple of days ago. Anybody who's curious about what we talked about on the podcast last time um, can go and see uh, see the metric that we were talking about and sort of how that correlates to scoring and what it's going to take for Florida to get up to 30 points. Yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully that's what happens. And uh, you know, as as we come to adjust, because we uh, hopefully this offense can adjust, because we had to adjust because you know I, I put out a tweet yesterday. Here's what the episode is going to be about this week, and it was going to be kind of personal favorites of ours, our, our favorite game, our favorite moment, our favorite rivalry, uh, all that good stuff. And then uh, Monday comes with a whole lot of news, and so now we, I you know just gotta gotta be fluid a little bit, so we're going to change topics and. Uh, like I said, we were going to get personal, but uh, we we thought news was going to be a little slow, and then uh, here comes Monday with uh, a barrage of of things that we uh, must hit on. Yeah, well, they're testing us because we were up late watching the baseball game last night, <laughs> <laughs> and then didn't get any sleep and went to work today, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, complete change of pace here. So, uh, no, it's great news. Most of the stuff that we're hearing is good news, and so it's always nice to talk about good news. Last year didn't feel like we were ever talking about good news, so. Uh, so any sort of good news is, or any sort of news we can talk about that's positive and sort of points the team in the right direction, I'm I'm happy to talk about. That is the thing about the baseball game is, you know, I'm sitting there, it, it, is, it was nervous a little bit, and then the way it ended, and we'll get into this uh, later, we'll, we will talk to a hit on, hit on baseball just a little bit before we uh, uh, get off on this one. But, you know, the way it ended, I still, even though it was time to go to bed, I was still amped up. It still took, you know, a good 45 minutes to an hour before I felt like uh, I could calm down. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just glad, I'm just glad that Florida didn't win in the inning where there was that strike three call that wasn't <laughs> that was right down the middle because then we would have had to hear Auburn whine for yeah. months about how they got jobbed. So, um, 
you know, in, in this case, I mean, I feel, I feel for the outfielder, I guess a little bit, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the game was one fair and square and, and, and that's good. We don't have to hear to hear about anybody bitching. That's right. So uh, we'll hit on uh, Florida going to Omaha in the college world series again uh, for the fourth straight year. I believe that is. Uh, but remember before we uh, dive into all the football stuff we're here uh, that we talked most of the, mostly about here on Gators Breakdown. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you will find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, catch Gators Breakdown on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. If you want the video version there, get it live on YouTube like you're watching now, or go back and watch the video version there. And follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Hey, look, when you're on iTunes, Google Play, please rate and review the show. That really helps us out a lot here on Gators Breakdown. So something that I wanted to happen, Will, and it happened a little sooner than I thought it would, was uh, running back Malik Davis getting cleared. And, hey, look, there was a lot of – I've had some back and forth with uh, with some followers on Twitter of uh, talking about Malik Davis and how you don't rush him back and uh, when will he be ready. And, you know, I, come June 11th, uh, he puts out the tweet that he's ready, and it was a little sooner than I thought we would might hear it. But, you know, it's really good basically a month and a half, two months before camp that Malik Davis, we still don't know exactly what the injury was. Nobody ever came out and said it. It was in the Georgia game. It kind of got lost a little bit when Jim McElwain uh, and Florida parted ways and the injury Malik Davis you know, kind of got shuffled a, a little bit in the cards until – you know, the weekend kind of got over and there's another game to play. You know, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're missing the best running back on the roster. So it, 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 that happened. Uh, and, you know, for what he was, it, it, it was a big loss. And I don't know how much of a difference it would have made down the stretch. But, you know, as I said, we never really got to find out what it was. It wasn't a big topic. Uh, Mullen was even asked about it at times. He didn't never really come out and say what it was. Uh, but, you know, now he's cleared. He's going to be available for fall camp. And I really think uh, – for Mullen and his style of offense, finding a finding a way to use Malik Davis will, will be very nice. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, if you look at Florida last year, they averaged five point one three yards per attempt. Um, Alabama led the uh, led the SEC at six point eight, but the average in the SEC was five point two two. So Florida on a you know, on the ground last year was a little bit below average. Now you can blame some of that on the offensive line. You can blame some of that on the Michigan game where it was like, <laughs> you know, three, you know, 25 rushes for 25 yards or whatever it wound up being. And Malik Davis um, had an eight yard carry. He never got another one. <laughs> well, and that they didn't have their best player running might, might be part of it as well. But, but, you know, Florida ostensibly was an average to below average rushing team last year. They certainly get back Jordan Scarlett this year and that makes a difference. But, you know, in his year before he was suspended, he only ran for five yards in attempt. Malik Davis ran for 6.7 yards per attempt and he had 79 carries. And so it's a relatively small sample size, but it's a pretty significant sample size too. I mean, you don't, and I think you can make some generalizations that he turned a lot of two yard losses into two yard gains. Certainly a lot of stats out there about yards after contact for both him and Scarlett. And considering that the offensive line is still a work in progress, having somebody who's explosive, um, we talked a lot last week about that. Um, but you know, if the average is 5.2 and you're averaging 6.7, that's going to add points to the ledger. And that's, you know, and, and hopefully Davis is going to bring that. 
Yep. So, uh, Vermission finished second on the team uh, in rushing with 526 yards in just seven games, 79 carries, 6.7 yards per carry, uh, and was the big play threat uh, from, from this running back stable. And we discussed last week how important big plays are uh, in the league. Davis was that big play, even in, uh, in an offense that was as bad as Florida's. Davis was the bright spot last year uh, before injury. So, I mentioned his 6.7 yards per carry, and we all know how much Muslin loves to run the ball. And I wanted to see if he's had running backs near the yards per carry production that Davis has uh, back in his time at Mississippi State. So with a minimum of 30 carries, that's kind of where I put it out because you knew that the sample size is important here. Uh, Mullen only had one running back at Mississippi State that had more yards per carry than Davis. Uh, at Davis's 6.7 yards per carry. And Nick Griffin had 32 carries and averaged seven yards a carry back in 2012. So, you know, Mullen is getting a back that if he can be close to 100%, is more productive compared to what he's used to. Yeah, well, really, you do have to factor in the quarterbacks a little yes, bit with Mullins. Do, do. Yes, <laughs> so Dak uh-huh. Prescott was at 6.2, and Nick Fitzgerald was at 7.1, 6.1. So certainly he's had people who've been able to run the ball. Um, but but like you said, yeah, that was average, strictly for running back. Yep. Yep. The averages have not been, I think Vic Ballard averaged 6.2 back in 2011, Josh Robinson 6.3 in 2014. So yeah, he's had some guys who are on the precipice of being that explosive, but nobody who's really shown that sort of explosion. And this I think is where the injury really becomes significant. I mean, if you remember a couple of years ago, Nick Chubb had a pretty significant knee injury, I think against Tennessee. And he came back the next year and averaged a lot less yards per carry because he wasn't as explosive. And then last year he was much more explosive and was up in that 6.2, 6.3 range. Um, so, you know, if it's a meniscus, well, that's usually not something that you lose your explosion. That's the kind of thing that for a running back can shorten a career where you start getting bone on bone and and those sorts of things. But, um, you know, that's something you worry about after you get out of college, usually, unfortunately, but, uh, but so if it's a meniscus, you say, Hey, you should probably still have the same explosion. If it's an ACL, a patella, something like that, then it could be something a little bit where, where you really do need to ease him back in. And so I think, you know, you, you had mentioned people talking about, you know, sitting him out this year or redshirting him because of the other running backs. I mean, at the end of the day, he's your most explosive player and showed that it, he was the most explosive player by a pretty wide margin. And so if his explosion isn't hindered, I think you play him. But again, this is where knowing what the injury is really comes into comes into play. Yeah, you know, and another worry that has come out uh, as well is him learning the offense by him not taking part in spring. And I don't see that as a big deal because he came in last season as a true freshman was able to get on the field quick and, and make an impact. So, you know, I, I like you, you know, I, it can be more about the injury. And also I think it can be more about mental, uh, anything. Is he going to trust that knee? Is he going to be skittish, you know, if he gets hit near down uh, the, the knee? And as you said, going back to the physical part, you know, yes, he's clear, but how how close is he to, to being the player that we saw last season? Does he lose some of his speed? Does he does he lose some of that cutting ability? You know, all these are questions we're probably not going to know the answer to until game-like situations. So, you know, th- th- there's a mental part and a physical part. And you know, hopefully, you know, I, I, we, did, we did see him in pads and stuff around the team uh, in, in, in spring. And I think when the, they were doing the circle of life drill, you know, he was, he was out there, uh, you know, jumping up and down. And a lot of people, some people noticed that and he was, coming off that knee injury and jumping up and down a little bit and do your wrist stuff like that. But, you know, I, I think that was the first sign that he could be back sooner than what we believe. But you know, I, I do, I, I don't think there was much worry there that he did not take part in spring practice. 
No, I think the mental part is is overrated for running backs in particular. A lot of it is you read the hole, you hit the hole, um, and especially with Mullen's offense, where a lot of it is straight ahead. There are some there's some pulling, but significantly less than in. Uh, you know, pulling offensive linemen significantly less than there were in McIlwain's offense. The place you're going to have to look for is where you got to look for, for all running young running backs, which is pass protection. And that's not just Davis that I'm going to be looking for in terms of pass protection. It's also going to be Scarlett. And it's going to be P Ryan. Cause those guys have struggled in that capacity as well. Really. We haven't had a running back who's been solid in pass protection since Jordan Cronkite. And that was why he was playing over Scarlett a couple of years ago, because he was solid in, in pass protection. And so to me, that's the thing that you got to focus on whether he's going to pick up and whether he's going to be able to do that in Mullen's offense. But again, Mullen's offense is really, I would say more simplistic than McIlwain's in terms of what they're asking their running backs to do, what they're asking their offensive line to do. And so I would expect him to be able to pick that up. And there's a reason why running backs, when they go to the NFL, can excel immediately and the quarterbacks sit there with a clipboard for eight weeks, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's because it's an easier position to pick those things up. There are You have specific roles and responsibilities. And as long as you know those, then you'll be fine. Yeah, Will, so, and we did mention this last week, but, you know, and I, and I, think we can bring about it again is how do you split carries between these backs and now you're adding one more into the fold so you're looking at scarlet you're looking at davis and and do do, does this go 50 50 between those guys if those are your top two guys do do you split it 50 50 you got p ryan there who's also going to take a lot of carries who has who has a lot of experience uh, Darius Lemons, who came on at the end of last year, he he's proven to be uh, somewhat of a big play threat, but not consistent, as you said, in in learning in learning the playbook and and pass protection there uh, for a young running back. Can he in a, in a new offense get better there? And the two true freshmen, Iverson Clement and Damian Pierce, we talk about best players playing, so it doesn't matter if they're a freshman or not. But more than likely, you're gonna have to redshirt somebody along this line. So if if Davis might be cleared, but maybe he's not 100, percent we'll see how that goes, maybe maybe it does play into a red shirt for him, or it, it, more than likely, I think it's at least one of the freshmen. Yeah, well, you figure the Charleston Southern game, the Kentucky game, and the Colorado State game are going to be used to figure out what they have. Yeah. And once and and so I would think that carries will be fairly evenly distributed. You expect the game against Charleston Southern to be a relatively easy <laughs> easy win. Kentucky is certainly a lot better these days, but that's something where you would expect to be able to get guys in and get them action without necessarily having to be too concerned. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but <laughs> the way it should be. <laughs> but it's been 30 straight years, so you know I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna count that one as a win. Same thing with uh, with Colorado State. And really what you want to do is identify the best running back to get the bulk of the carries against Tennessee and Mississippi State. Because those games are on the road. You're either going to have a redshirt sophomore quarterback, you're going to have a true freshman quarterback, or you're going to have a redshirt sophomore quarterback. <laughs> like those are your options. And so, you know, if you're if you're Trask or, or Franks, you're a redshirt sophomore. If you've got um, Emory Jones, you're a true freshman back there. And so you're going to need the running game. You're going to need to lean on the running game. And so you need your stud back there. And if Davis is the guy who shows he's got that explosion in the first couple of games, I think when you go on the road, you got to have a work workhorse back. Um, you know, maybe you bring in Scarlett on third and one you know, fourth and one, stuff like that, because he can get that yard. But, you know, Malik Davis is the guy who can take it to the house, and that's what's going to be necessary to score points. 
Yeah, and, and Bill King on, on his show this morning, like I said, I'm on there every Tuesday morning, asked me uh, about Malik Davis and his stuff too. And I also thought uh, a place where Malik Davis can really shine is if this offense is in a rut, if they can't get anything going. I think he's the he's the back that you're going to give the ball to because of that big playability. You know, if, if there's time where the run game's getting stuff for three, four yards uh, on average or getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage like we've seen so much, even with the struggles of the offensive line last year, we've seen what Malik Davis can be. So I, I think also he he's that guy who can get the offense out of the rut. Well, the other thing is McIlwain seemed like allergic to actually throwing the ball to his running backs. And I don't know that that's going to be the case. I know that when when Mullen had Rainey and and, uh, and Demps back there in the backfield, certainly those guys would flare out and they would get the get it, get the ball to those guys in space. And so again, I think that's a way you can use Malik Davis. He had seven catches for 58 yards last year, so he averaged 8.3 yards per catch. Um, P Ryan was the same way, 10 for 81, so he averaged 8.1. Scarlett two years ago was four for 23, so he's really not the catching threat. And Lemons had one catch for seven yards. So if you're looking at who they would have in the backfield and maybe two back sets where they would send guys out into patterns. You're probably talking P Ryan and Davis or maybe Iverson Clement. Cause he's somebody who certainly showed an ability to, to catch the ball out of the backfield, at least with what we've seen thus far and what we've seen in high school. Um, as you mentioned, though, you're probably not going to have six guys running unless you start really piling up injuries. And so somebody's going to have the red shirt. And if, and I think that comes back to the injury at that point, that if he's not the same explosive player, you let him sit out. You let him get get you know let him spend time in the weight room. Let him get stronger, and then when he comes out on the field two years from now, he'll be just as explosive as he was. Um, and you've got the depth to be able to do that. Um, but the question is, does he want to do that? And yeah. even if he's ninety percent of the player he was last year, he's still their best running back. Yeah, if he doesn't lose the speed, and then yeah, and, and you know, he had, he had good vision too, especially for a true freshman. So he could keep his speed and his vision. You know, I, I think so. Trusting that knee, I still think comes comes part of it as well. So maybe that's where the uh, docking of the ten percent uh, from the hundred percent comes from. So, uh, well, where he can get some help is also on Monday. Offensive lineman Brett Heggie decided, or not decided, but was also cleared uh, from his injury that he suffered last year uh, in the Missouri game. His knee, uh, it was also a knee injury for him. Uh, he's Going to be back. Uh, five games started. Five, first five games last year. Seven games for the total last year. Uh, as I mentioned, hurt in the Missouri game. Uh, looked apart last season at left guard while T.J. McCoy struggled at center uh, after an impressive 2016, where when McCoy came and filled in at center, looked good, but couldn't really uh, make anything happen of note in 2017. So there's been some talk of moving. Heggie to center, uh, and Dan Mullen was asked about it on the spring on his spring speaking tour, and did confirm Heggie would get a crack at center, uh, speaking to his versatility to play multiple positions on the line. So as long as he bounces back as well uh, to be the player that we kind of expect him to be, uh, he, I, I think you know, he could be pretty well do pretty well at center and 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 help that running game that we were just talking about. Yeah, so I mean, he's a three-star player. He's 547th was his national rank coming out of coming out of high school. McCoy was also a three-star, but he was 16-16. So just based on what people saw of these guys coming out of high school, um, Heggie was a higher-rated player. I think when you really look at where Florida struggled last year, I mean, you can talk about Martez Ivy struggling a little bit on the outside. You can talk about Jamon Taylor struggling a little bit at right tackle. At the end of the day, Florida had Florida struggled because because the guards and the center struggled, and they got knocked back into the backfield against opponents who had a 
elite talent up front. And so they really struggled. And so they're going to have to get better there. Now, I think part of that is the strength and conditioning. I mean, when you really think about where strength and conditioning is going to make a huge difference, you would think it would be the offensive and defensive lines. Um, and so, you know, McCoy probably has improved significantly this offseason just mm-hmm. with the improved strength and conditioning as well. So I don't think it's wise to necessarily count him out. More than anything, this means they have quite a bit of depth because yep. if you look at if you look at it and say you've got Taylor and Ivy on the outside, Fred Johnson, McCoy, and Heggie were the guards in the centers last year, but you've got Tyler Jordan who who can step in, and then you've got Heggie and McCoy who can sort of you know. McCoy can step into center if Heggie happens to win the job. Heggie can step in at center if McCoy happens to win the job if there's an injury. And I'm not sure we necessarily had that last year. I think Jordan was sort of the utility player all the way along the line of scrimmage. Plugging Heggie in there means that if somebody's false starting, you can bring in a replacement. It means you can maybe hold the guys more accountable for the for the for the mental mistakes that have happened over the last couple of years. And that, you know, starting first and fifteen for an offense that's not very explosive is really a killer. And that, that happened a lot last year. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of talk about you know, reading pieces in magazines and, and also just going back and looking at Florida and, and this offensive line and the names you mentioned there, there is experience there. But this is experience coming from an, old, an older system, a different system, into a new system, and also a, a new mentality for this group. As you mentioned, the strength and the conditioning and how that was going to be uh, much more tougher or, or much tougher this past spring with, with Nick Savage coming in and, and, of course, it being a programming-instilled difference from from when Scott Strickland said he would be looking for a new head coach to when Dan Mullen was hired saying strength and conditioning was a big part. Uh, and we, we saw just kind of how much of an emphasis it was. You know, I, there's no other group, I, don't, I think, on the team where this affects more than, than the offensive line. So you know, this could be a whole philosophical change uh, in and of itself as well, talking about this offensive line. So, yes, there is a lot of experience, but there's a lot of change as well going from McIlwain to Mullen. So – I think uh, where a lot of positivity still comes from that is it can't be much worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's awesome. No, I look, they they struggled last year. I don't think there's any doubt that they struggled that if I mean from the first snap against Michigan it was very clear that they were overmatched up front. Um, you know, the defense sort of helped, sort of um, hid some of those warts maybe in the first half, and then in the second half, Michigan came screaming back, and and Florida just didn't have an answer, and didn't have an answer on the offensive line. Now, I mean, it's all a combination, right? I mean, obviously Callaway and Scarlett get suspended before that game, so you don't have your main playmakers. You have a redshirt freshman making his first start on the road, essentially, or at a neutral site at least. You've got an offensive line that's struggling, and and you know couldn't take advantage of some of the pick sixes. And then as the year went on, it didn't seem to get a whole lot better. But, you know, it's it was a system failure last year. And so to sit there and say, oh, the offensive line was terrible. Well, the offense was terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we got to keep that in mind. Now, with that said, you know, there has been, other than Ivy, there isn't anybody who's a blue chip guy on that, on that offensive line. And so it is going to roll. Line, you know, we're going to have to rely on development. That's what's going to have to happen in order for the offensive line to be better because it's not going to be, hey, we just have the best players out there from a talent perspective, at least coming out of high school. And so, you know, Hevesy's going to have to earn his keep. And certainly, um, you know, you might be able to criticize some of the things he does in the recruiting trail, but I don't necessarily know, you know, his offensive lines have always been very, very good. And so we we will see, and and he did very good things at Mississippi State with guys with similar or even lesser talent profiles than what Florida has right now. And so I really am interested to see what happens when they come out. Um, you know, 
again, I, I think these guys are, I think these guys are good. I, I think they can be good. I think Ivy in particular has the skills to be really good if he's coached up and if he, and if he, um, you know, if he really takes that next step, but it's going to be up to Hevesy to make that happen. And, and going there and where I hope he makes the, the biggest difference is we've seen, and we talked about this with Jordan Scarlett, and this may be in a, as part of the issue is there's just been so many big plays that's just been an inch or two or, you know, football, as they say, the game of inches that just a big play just almost happening. Well, maybe getting that new offensive line coach, getting that new mentality and getting to that second level just a little faster, getting to that second level and being tougher at that second level. Maybe that's what helps bring some of these big runs that we see oh so close they're there. But now maybe with this different mentality, it can, they can actually be made. Yeah, I wrote an article for SEC Country a couple of years ago after the Missouri game, and people were very disappointed in the way Luke Del Rio played in that game. But he was really close to having a really big game because there were a couple of screen passes that were out there where Florida had two offensive linemen on one linebacker, and the <laughs> linebacker was able to split the offensive lineman and make the tackle. So, you know, the the play call was perfect. And, you know, I, I absolutely hated it last year when Matt Coyne said the plan was good, the players just didn't execute. But there were some examples of that where you went and looked and said, oh, the offensive line is out in front of that running back. They get the screen pass to him, and, oh, he gets tripped up because the guy doesn't finish the block. The hope is is that under Mac or I'm sorry, under under Mullen and under Hevesy, that that won't be acceptable, and that those guys are going to be pulled off the field if, in fact, that happens. I think that's been their track record. I think they have gotten Mississippi State's offensive line to play really well. Now the question is, you know, can you can you untrain some of the bad habits that have creeped crept in over time? Can you make up for two or three years of not having solid strength training in one offseason? And and we'll learn the answer to those questions. Yep. So, well, does does the outlook with 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 Heggie and Davis announcing themselves as clear? Does it change your outlook? You know, it probably doesn't change your outlook on how many wins Florida has, but does it does it change the outlook on some of the success that this offense could have? Yeah, the Davis the Davis announcement does change my outlook a little bit. Again, because we don't know anything about his injury, but if you really start looking at timelines about when someone will be cleared for contact, mm-hmm. usually a really severe knee injury is not this quick. Yeah. It's not it's not, you know, late October to early June is not the typical recovery time, which makes me think this isn't one of those catastrophic knee injuries mm-hmm. that it's something less. And if it's something less and he still has the explosion, I think that's a really big deal because he he was the offense last year in certain instances. The only time they could get first downs is when they put Tony back in the Wildcat and then handed it off to Davis. And actually having those two guys back there was probably their best offense much of the year. And that's something that Mullen is going to do. He's going to put somebody back behind the line of scrimmage at quarterback who can run, I would think at least at times, and he's going to have running backs out there that he needs to be able to drive explosive plays because you are going to get the two-yard run, the two-yard run, the two-yard run, and have to punt every once in a while. What you need is the two-yard run and then the 80-yard run, and all of a sudden you got seven points. And And Davis has shown that he can do that, or at least he did last year. And so I think it's a good sign that that, that is being announced in, in June. As far as Heggie's concerned, I mean, I, I think he was always sort of in the plans as a starting offensive lineman in most people's minds. Um you know, he, he certainly did show pretty well last year when he played. And so, you know, I, 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 I'm glad to see that he's back. I don't know that it changes what we thought was going to happen in the fall. I think it was always sort of expected that he was going to be in there competing. And, and, and if he was better than McCoy or better than one of the guards, that he was going to get the nod. 
Yeah, and as far as Davis goes, and as far as any playmaker goes, I think this is just one more weapon for Mullen and a weapon that, hey, look, we know Dan Mullen is not afraid to use the talent that he has and keep putting the ball in one guy's hand until that opposing defense stops him. And I think that's one welcome change as far as a systematic shift on the offense is going to go is you know, we, we kept screaming for Malik Davis to get more carries last year. We kept screaming for Kadarius Tony to get more uh, carries or, or more wildcat plays last year. And, and it just didn't happen. And as we said, systematic failure on offense, that's not going to be the case under Dan Mullen. No, I think he'll get the ball to his playmakers. Though, you know, we I have I have warned people a little bit, and I, you know, I don't want to be negative, but there's a lot of potential at the wide receiver position. Um, there's not a whole lot of production at the wide receiver yeah. position at this point. When you look at Davis, there's quite a bit of production. Yep. And even when you look at Scarlett, there's quite a bit of production. And when you look at P Ryan, there's quite a bit of production. Now, in some cases, you might criticize, you know, are they are they explosive enough or different things like that? But these guys have been out there on the field and they've produced. And, and so when you talk about Davis being another weapon, it's like, well, he's kind of the weapon. And then Tony is maybe weapon B and, and Cleveland is weapon C and everybody else has a lot to prove. And so, you know, when you, when you ask me, is it important to get Malik Davis back? I say, yeah, he was the number one weapon on offense last year, even though they didn't figure that out until three or four games in, he was the number one weapon on offense. And so I think it's a big deal to have him back. Absolutely. I'm in. I think what I can't w- wait to see, and I don't know if we'll see it early. I don't know if we'll see it game one. It may be something they wait to see, but could we could could we get an Emory Jones, Jordan Scarlett, Malik Davis backfield? <laughs> Where's the ball going? <laughs> It'd be the first time in in three years we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, hey, Brandon Powell. Brandon Powell is the answer. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, you know, just some kind of play like that. That's what I'm, uh, you know, just just enjoy me. Even if it's, you know, Franks or Trask back there, Scarlett and Davis in the backfield at the same time, you know, that's some, something like that is, is kind of what I'm waiting to see. Uh, and something different uh, that we're kind of uh, ready to see. And, and talking about different, uh, dif- different scenery for uh, a grad transfer, Adam Schuler from uh, West Virginia. He visited early. Uh, early earlier in the spring, uh, then was on campus last week and decided to transfer to the Gators as a grad transfer. So uh, the six foot four, two hundred seventy pound, um, uh, he was a, a Florida native there from Longwood. Uh, he signed with the Mountaineers back, uh, as I said, West Virginia back in two thousand fifteen out of Lyman High School. Played in twelve of thirteen games for West Virginia this past season, starting in ten of them, uh, thirty seven tackles. Or yeah, 37 tackles, eight tackles for loss, and three sacks his redshirt junior year last year. Also, year before that, 34 tackles, one sack, two forced fumbles the uh, the year before. So, and um, Will, I looked at uh, oh one more thing, he'll have two years to play in Gainesville as a grad transfer. Graduated in three years uh, at West Virginia. So we all watched some some of the highlights of him, and the first thing I noticed, and wait for it relentless effort so there we go we got had to get that in uh but for real uh he he was flying all over the field chasing plays making plays in the backfield shows good speed uh and and he really hits hard once he gets to the ball so i'm not expecting Schuler to come in and and be some great threat and living in the backfield uh you know play in and and play out but i do like him as a as a stable piece in the rotation and, and providing depth and you can never have too many good defensive linemen in the sec 
Now, and we've we've certainly seen that over the last few years as some of the defensive linemen have gotten hurt and then uh, and then there hasn't been anybody to step into their place. And so certainly as somebody who's going to provide depth, I think it's a it's a it's a solid move and a solid player to come in. Um, he was ranked 902nd nationally coming out of high school. Um, he was a three-star candidate. Um, in 2016, he had 34 tackles and a sack. In, in 2017, 37 tackles, eight tackles for loss and three sacks. He compares kind of favorably to two Gators, actually. So if you look at Jabari Zinaga in 2017, he had 34 tackles, eight tackles for loss and four sacks. But Zinaga is six foot three, 245. So he's a little bit smaller guy, maybe with a little bit more speed. Jakai Polite, though, is six foot two, 271 pounds. So really the same size. Mm-hmm. And last year had 22 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss and two sacks. So that's probably, I'm thinking about the kind of player that you're getting, maybe somewhere between those two guys. Um, you know, the productivity of, of, uh, of Zuniga, the, the sort of profile of polite and, and certainly in Grantham's defense, you're going to need somebody to set the edge. And, uh, and this guy should be able to do that and should be able to step in and do it right away. So, um, anytime you can add depth on the defensive line, we've talked a lot about the front seven being really, really important. I mean, I don't look at this as, you know, they're not bringing in Jadavian Clowney, <laughs> but, but they're bringing in somebody who's solid, who's going to, who's going to provide depth to the defensive line. And, and certainly if he can play like Zinega or polite, I think we'll be happy with the results. Yeah. And what this does, and you did mention it, you know, Florida had trouble setting the edge, especially um, uh, when it was the share, it went down, uh, you know, and, Never really had a defensive end who could could, could set the edge uh, like he did. So Florida struggled there, uh, there. And this, you know, Zuniga, you kind of, kind of compare him could be undersized at edge in the new scheme. So could that maybe push him to one of those rush edge and you know stand up types? Where now you have uh, you know a, a new guy who could come in now bigger, set the edges as you said in Schuler. And now that kind of just helps all the other players because that makes them fit into a position where they can help out even more. Well, I'll tell you where this might really help. So at 271, he can set the edge, but that also allows somebody like Zuniga to to play outside. And we've talked a lot about the linebackers at Florida and how much they've struggled. And so if you can pull Zuniga back into more of a linebacker role, maybe you can cover up some of those holes because he is a fast player and he does show an ability to pass rush. And so you can put him in a linebacker role, but maybe allow him to be in coverage against some running backs, you know, somebody that fast should be able to do some of that stuff. And if you can take some of his defensive line responsibilities away, then maybe that sort of is a way of enhancing the depth because, you know, Zuniga, like I said, he's six foot three, 245. That's not much smaller than Jeremiah Moon. That's not much smaller than a linebacker. And maybe that's really where, where his future is at the, at the next level. And it would make some sense to move him out there. So, um, you know, this may free up Florida to move somebody like that out to linebacker and maybe cover up some of those holes that we've talked about a lot this offseason that we saw last season a lot, where just there wasn't a whole lot of coverage um, ability from the linebackers who were out there, um, at least not on a consistent basis. And the running backs, particularly John Kelly at Tennessee, really, uh, really exploited that. And, and if Zuniga can help cover that up, then this is certainly a, a solid add to help that happen. Yeah, you know, you know, I think you really have to look at you know adding it with Zuniga, Jefferson, Pillai, as you said. And these are those are guys who can live in the backfield, and at times their sole purpose can be now just get to the quarterback. So now you have uh, just, I, I think, with Todd Grantham and the, the aggressive style that he's going to bring, 
it just it, it it does free up yeah at least three players that come to mind that I think where they can just really really concentrate on what I think has been a weakness in this Florida defense is just having those guys that rely on to to go get a sack and I mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago yeah, I haven't had that probably since Dante Fowler so but this, this this could just open up where you have three guys okay it, it's third down it's third and eight it's third and nine we know we got three guys now that can go get the quarterback. Well, I mean, so we got to pump the brakes a little bit here <laughs> and say um, Schuler's solid. I think Polite is solid. Zuniga's solid. I'm not sure that you can necessarily go out, go out and just tell them, hey, go get a sack. What I think it does, though, is it allows those guys who maybe can do that. So somebody like CC Jefferson, somebody like Tadero Slayton. That's what I was saying. Well, but I mean, it allows you to rotate those guys in and have them be fresh. Right. So it gives you that sort of depth. The other thing is last year we saw sort of the chain reaction where Florida could not get to the quarterback <laughs> and they could not necessarily stop the run, which made them bring up a safety. It also I mean, and that safety that they brought up was Chauncey Gardner, Gardner Johnson, who is a very good player, but certainly more comfortable in a center field safety um kind of role than he is as an enforcer coming down to make the tackle. And if you look at some of the players that have been added, Amari Bernie, Trey Dean, um, you know, Jeremiah Moon will be at the linebacker. Um, you can talk, you know, CC Jefferson will be probably, probably playing with a hand up and a hand down in the dirt sometimes, but, but the way they're going to use people, the way Grantham's going to use people, I would guess are going to allow them to at least be more multiple in terms of how they're trying to get to the quarterback. And sometimes they're going to have to blitz and maybe they'll have to blitz with these guys on the field but they're not going to have to constantly isolate their corners. And I think that'll make a difference. So really the depth up front, I think will allow you to rotate more guys in, allow you to get that sack when you need it and potentially even allow you to um, blitz when these guys are out there to get to the quarterback and then allow your uh, DBs to rest or at least play in a zone when you've got your more elite guys out there. Yep. So uh, I was uh, a busy Monday news uh, as far as news goes. Uh, Will, uh, what you have uh, before we get into a, a little baseball talk? Uh, what you got coming up on Read Reaction? Coming oh, up, oh man, soon? I'm going on vacation, so I'm gonna try to get something. There we go. But, but we'll see. It might be a couple of weeks because uh, it's been a while. So things have been crazy at work, and uh, but uh, yeah, I've always usually got something on the fire, and and I'm gonna be looking at the SEC quarterbacks and who's returning, and uh, what we should think about where people are, and 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 who really the threats are going to be in the conference. Not just based on, I mean, if you believe like I do that the quarterback play is the most important, uh, the more the most important place to look, and if you look at each of the teams and who they've got coming back, I think we can probably predict who Florida's biggest competition is going to be. Good deal, good dude. There, there. Uh, Readmeaction.com is where you can find Will's articles there. So, Will, we we mentioned it earlier, uh, and we we stayed up late for it. Uh, it was a eleven inning game. Uh, where Florida came out on top uh, versus Auburn in the Super Regionals there. Uh, really exciting series. I, I didn't get to see much of the of the first game where Florida pretty much handled Auburn, but did get to watch the last two. Uh, I was in a, at a wedding in, in Tampa, so I didn't get to keep an eye on, on, on game one. But, uh, you know, pitching was great all weekend long versus Auburn. Uh, but, you know, they weren't manufacturing runs. Uh, it was uh, Runs come via the home run. Um, and then Auburn's defense really, especially in this last game, uh, really frustrated uh, Gator fans. Oh man, did they ever? I mean, there were a bunch of nice sliding catches, um, some things that uh, you know I haven't seen in the college game in a while. And uh, I think there are a few take homes. One is that uh, 
is, is that Casey Mize, Florida's offense was able to, was able to take care of him. The Auburn pitcher who went number one overall. And, uh, and, and so, you know, Singer, I think is a, is a good compliment to him and was able to outduel him in that game. The other takeaway is Jonathan India is really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's just a really special player. And there's a reason why he was taken, I think, fifth overall in the draft. And it's going to be fun seeing how quickly he can make his way to the major leagues. And then, you know, Sullivan, that, that, that second run that they scored on that weird play where the guy, where they were first and third and the guy yeah. sort of pretends to fall down between the bases. I mean, that looks like something I would have seen in my kid's softball game tonight. <laughs> and somehow they managed to, uh, to make that work. And, you know, the game doesn't go into extras without that play. So, you know, it, it's cool to see that sort of ingenuity. And I know Florida's done it in the past, but you know, it's like once every three years, they break that play out and to break it out there. That that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of riverboat gambling. I hope we see on the football field this year. There you go. That's what I was about to say with, with, with Sullivan, you know, he, he is that aggressive style uh, coach that, that I like, even in baseball, you don't see it a lot. And uh, I do like seeing it, you know, especially at my school, it could rub some other teams the, the wrong way. But if it's your guy doing it, kind of like Spurrier, you know, that aggressive attacking style, if it's your guy doing it, you know, uh, uh, more props to him. Uh, and also Langworthy, you know, in, in his in his heroics, uh, you know, Sunday uh, with the, the, the home run there uh, to, to tie that game up. Uh, Auburn ends up winning that game anyway, uh, but it, they, they did have to go to the bottom of the night to win it. And then also with the, the game winner. Um, uh, in, in the final game of the series, so it sets up an, another trip to Omaha, and uh, sh- should be fun, Will. But uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, attack because you know Florida's not looking like the the team they were, say a month ago. Uh, but when it's all when it's all said and done, they got the experience, and you know, maybe maybe just getting to Omaha is kind of that perfect formula of putting it all together again. Yeah, well, I want to go back to Langworthy because I, I think this is something that's overlooked. I mean, granted, the guy get, guy hit two home runs, so that's what we're going to point at. But the fact that he tied the game meant that um, the Auburn pitcher, the closer, had to had to throw extra pitches that evening. And so, you know, he comes in last night and is probably a little bit tired. And certainly a lot of Florida's pitchers were tired too. I think Byrne went four or five innings last night, but, but that's something to consider. The other thing is Alex Fiedo is really, really good. And so the team lost Fiedo and certainly has been has been better on offense, but but Fiedo is a good player. And any anytime you get to the College World Series, I mean, any a three game series is sort of a crapshoot anyway. And yeah. so they've been to the College World Series now for four straight years. They won last year. I mean, even if the team got swept out of the College World Series, this is an excellent excellent year. Um, and, and I think anybody who looks at looks at get, making it to the final eight and is disappointed with that. Um, you know, just needs to remember whether we'd be disappointed with that in football. (laughs) But that's the kind of thing that you need to hang your hat on. Once you get there, anything can happen in individual games. I mean, one pitcher has a bad game. One pitcher comes out and doesn't have the feel for the strike zone. And all of a sudden you're getting hammered and you're getting out of the tournament pretty quick. And so um, I think it's important to, to recognize that, especially in baseball, the the result is not necessarily reflective of the skill. I think, though, when you look at a four-year period and say you got to the final eight for four straight years, that is indicative of the program and the process and and really developing a team. So um, I'm thrilled for the team. I hope they do really well. I'm going to be rooting for them to win again. But if they don't, it's been a heck of a season, and congratulations. Yeah, you know, for all the the, the um, you know bad base running and, and bad defense and, and bad situational hitting, what it is this time of year is survive in advance. And this is exactly what they did. (laughs) 
Uh, I mean, and like I said, I mean, Indy is a stud. Dalton is really, really good. It's just fun to watch this team play. I mean, heck, heck they're close games. And you're sitting there biting your fingernails. But, I mean, that's why we watch sports, right? It, it wasn't a whole lot of fun to watch the Warriors beat the Cavs by 50 the other night. Yeah. I mean, they were celebrating at the end of the third quarter that they'd won the, that they'd won the NBA. And so I don't want to see that either. I mean, I want there to be competition. That's what, I mean, I want Tennessee to be good. I just want Florida to be better when it comes to football because I like that rivalry. Same thing with Florida State. Like, I don't want Florida State to be a doormat. I want Florida State to be good, and I want Florida to come beat them. And so same thing with baseball. Now you got, you know, the top eight teams in the country, and Florida's going to get to go prove themselves. And, you know, if it's a bunch of two-to-one games and there's a bunch of screw-ups on the bases and all sorts of stuff, you know, you'll groan when it happens. But at the end of the day, man, it's fun to watch. Yeah, you know, and talking about watching it, you know, we don't talk about it a lot here on the podcast. You know, football football drives the, the viewership and stuff, and I completely know that. But, you know, and, and don't really tweet about it a lot either. But, you know, being able – technology is the greatest thing probably ever for college baseball because it's really helped – you know, watch ESPN, SEC Network, and all that stuff has really helped being able to watch, you know, Florida's – most of, what, 90 95% of Florida's games now, you know, you can catch on uh, your tablet. And a lot of them are being shown now uh, on TV as well. And it's really just helping grow that that sport. And, you know, Florida's really been able to take advantage of the technology boom for college baseball by being good I and mean, really good at the same time. Yeah, we, they, we also need to give a hat tip to nerds like like me and you and Bill because at least in baseball, those guys have really, really driven teams towards drafting college players because they tend to pan out more because you have more information. And so because that's happening now, somebody like Fiedo is is going to be close to the major leagues or almost there. You look at, uh, you look at uh, you know, all these guys, Dalton, and you look at, at – uh, India and those sorts of guys, they're going to be in the majors in a year or two. And so to be able to see that, it's sort of like watching the NCAA basketball. I mean, or at least it used to be like watching NCAA basketball where you had four years to learn these guys, you know, learn who these guys were. And then the next year they were in the NBA making a difference. And it's not necessarily that quick of a transition in baseball, but it's a relatively quick transition from college getting to the big leagues for like relievers or starting pitchers or really high level hitters. And so if you've got a high level program, these are guys we're going to be able to follow um, every day on the major league network and ESPN and all that sort of stuff. And so, um, you know, hey, I, I think anytime you can get exposure to these sorts of things for university, it's great. Florida certainly has a well-rounded athletic department. Um, and that's one of the things I think Florida fans are, are really proud of is the fact that the University of Florida is not just really a football school. It's an athletic school. I mean, we win national championships and all sorts of stuff. And, and baseball is just a part of that. Yep, and and talking baseball, definitely shout out to Tony Aguilini, who's the uh, the biggest Gator baseball fan that for, that, that I know. So, um, you know, just talk to him is everything he already knows. But uh, you know, he 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 really he really takes it to heart, and the first person that I really know who's who really took uh, and, and talked baseball to to a mainstream level. So I don't know if you follow Tony or not, but uh, for for baseball and, and baseball tweets and stuff, he's a really really good follower there. Yeah, I follow Tony. It's funny. I mean, I actually met some podcast listeners the last time I was down there when I went to a baseball game. All of a sudden, they were posting pictures, and I'm like, where are you? <laughs> so I want to go over and say hello. So, uh, you know, we're everywhere. I mean, the reality is, is that Florida fans support Florida regardless. Um, we tend not to be Gators and Yankees and Cowboys fans. That tends not to be the spread. Um, it's it's usually usually a little bit more uh, more demographic or not demographically geographically confined in terms of teams. It's not it's not the it's not the front running. But I mean, obviously, Florida gives us a reason to front run because they win all the time. <laughs> Good point. That, that, that's that's what it all boils down to, really. But uh, uh, will anything else? 
No, man. Just thanks everybody for the engagement. We we've certainly been busy. We're but we're enjoying the summer and enjoying uh, enjoying getting a little bit of a rest before the season starts. But we've only got a couple of months left, buddy. That's right. That's right. So uh, yeah, as I said, you know, I'm kind of we've talked about it the last couple of episodes, but we'll be having opponent previews coming up pretty soon, uh, about a month or so, I guess. You know, about mid mid to late July, we'll be uh, hitting out opponent previews, getting ready for the season there. And I'm working on a, hopefully a, a pretty good guest for next week. Will you're taking next week off, and, and as you said earlier, uh, getting some vacation time. I will be in the pool. There we go. There we go. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so hopefully uh, I'll have a guest there. Still trying to work at, work out everything, but uh, hopefully I can announce in the next couple of days uh, once it gets 100% confirmed there. So really looking forward to that. Uh, should be something a little different here uh, on the podcast. So, Will, uh, uh, we did it again and, and a little bit shorter this time. <laughs> hey, man, you were able to tell me it was time to shut up, so that's good. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hey man, it's like I said, it's great to have good news to talk about, and and uh, you know, it, everything we heard today is 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 fantastic for the program. It's not like there's some game cha- game changing five star quarterback coming into town or anything like that, but certainly solid steps towards a successful season. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's Will Miles. You can find his articles at readandreaction.com, his site there. And you can also find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs> <laughs>